How do the best data scientists in the world master their data sets, train their models, and climb the data science ladder? Let's ask them. My name's Jeremy, and this is the Towards Data Science Podcast. You can get access to the very latest research. We also have to make sure that we're constantly revisiting our foundations and justifying why we're using the methods we are. At that time, I said, and I want people to hear this, that you have worth and you have skills and there's someone who needs that somewhere. Hello and welcome everyone once again to another episode of the Towards Data Science Podcast. My name is Jeremy and I'm on the team over at the Sharpest Minds Data Science Mentorship Program. And as many of you may know, Sharpest Minds is a one-on-one mentorship program for people who are looking to build a career in data science, data analytics, and machine learning. And the program's free until you get a job, which means that the job market is something we've been laser focused on. And most of my time actually goes into A-B testing all kinds of different strategies for company reach-outs and project optimizations, that sort of thing. And one thing that's become incredibly clear, especially lately as we focused on the job market, is that coronavirus quarantines are fundamentally changing the dynamics of learning and the dynamics of the job search. Just a few months ago, in-person boot camps and college programs, live networking events where people exchanged handshakes and business cards were the way the world works, but now no longer. With that in mind, a lot of aspiring techies are asking themselves how they should be adjusting their game plan to keep up with learning or land that next job, given the constraints of an ongoing pandemic and an impending economic downturn. That's why I'm so excited today to be talking to Ruben Harris, who, apart from not being related to me at all, is the CEO and co-founder of Career Karma, a startup that helps aspiring developers find the best coding boot camps for them. He's got a great perspective to share on the special psychological and practical challenges of navigating self-learning and the job search, and he was kind enough to make time for us today to have a quick chat about all these topics. Ruben, thanks so much for joining us for the podcast. Thank you for having me on the show, brother. It's been a minute. We've been wanting to connect for a long time. Absolutely. I'm, I'm kind of glad that it, uh, it got to this point where we're able to connect for the podcast, at least. I'm sure this is the first of many. Yeah. So you're the, you're the founder and CEO of Career Karma. It's a startup. If anybody hasn't heard of Career Karma, you guys focus on helping people essentially find the best boot camps, the boot camps that are a good fit for them. Uh, along with your co-founders, Arthur and Timor. You also host the Breaking Into Startups podcast, which uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you're going to be interested in that. You should check it out. There, you share stories and tips for folks on you know how to break into startups, how to kickstart their software engineering careers, that sort of thing. The reason I wanted to chat with you today, though, is that we're both tackling kind of similar problems in our day jobs, trying to help folks find jobs in tech. And yep. today, with COVID-19, the coronavirus, tons of new challenges, obviously, people are trying to figure out how to navigate that job search, how to start it. Uh, so I thought we could take some time to talk about that. But before we do, I just want to get a little bit of background so people can get situated about you. You come from the boot camp world yourself, right? Yeah. So so um, my co-founders and I have been in the Bay Area since 2014. Uh, they went through Hack Reactor and Nap Academy. My brother did as well. Um, I actually didn't go through a coding boot camp, but we did do a, a boot camp for entrepreneurs called Y Combinator. Um, but to your point, uh, uh, when when we moved to the Bay Area, we knew nobody. And three weeks later, we found a job. We wrote a story about it uh, called Breaking Into Startups that turned into the podcast that you mentioned called Breaking Into Startups. Uh, and then we got thousands of emails asking how to get jobs. And after creating a chatbot that pointed people to job training programs, 
that worked for some people, but not for everybody. Um, and so that's how Career Karma was born. And now we have about 15,000 people that come to us every month that we're helping um, find not just the right job training, but also the right peers and mentors to find employment after they upload their projects into our platform. Um, for me, um, since we've, we launched that podcast in 2016, uh, my co-founders and I have not just uh, interviewed founders of these boot camps and tracked it since 2012 even, um, but we've also shared stories of people that have gone through the process of breaking into tech. But if we're going to bring it back to me, since you did ask me, I've been laid off three different times. When I first entered the job market, it was during the financial crisis. Um, and I had to always figure out how to break into industries that were previously hard to get into. Right? So, you know, to get into investment banking from a small school that nobody's ever heard of, I had to understand how to do that. Right to get into all these other things, I had to figure out how to do that. And so uh, through speaking with other people and going through it ourselves and watching my co-founders do it and my brother do it, we've learned that getting a job requires more than knowing data science or coding or certificate or degree. Yeah, um, It requires a lot more. Yeah, I think the story about failure too is really important here. And I talk all the time and the single thing that comes up the most often is this idea of imposter syndrome, whether you're experienced mm -hmm. or just breaking in. You know, when you don't hear stories of other people who've gone through the same challenges, faced failure, overcome failure, very, very mm -hmm. difficult to situate yourself and go, okay, there's a future here for me, even though I'm feeling I'm facing these obstacles right now. Yeah, I mean, to that point, I mean, the first time we applied to Y Combinator, we got rejected. And then we had to launch and then we had to apply again December of 2018, yeah, 18, to start the winter class of 2019. So to your point, like, that is a normal part of the part of the process. If you're not comfortable with rejection um, and managing your psychology, it's going to be very, very difficult. And it's actually one of the points we even wrote in the first article about breaking into startups. Yeah, and I want to make sure we touch on that too, because I think the psychological element there's there's this kind of trap. I think when you talk about tech jobs, it attracts technical minds, technical people, and technical people sometimes look at the job search as a technical problem. They don't realize that it, you have to pay, you have to respect the non-technical ingredients. Um, so mm. maybe I want to I want to probe you on this because I'm sure you, you got a lot to say here. What are some of the biggest non-technical skill sets people have to develop to master that job search? Um, I would say number one is belief in yourself. As corny as that sounds, right? If you if you don't believe in yourself, it's going to be very difficult to get other people to believe in you, right? Especially if you come from a non-traditional background or underestimated background, which is the word that we prefer to use. Right. Um, being mindful of your personal brand and what comes up when people Google your name. Right. What pops up if you're not telling your own story? Some people say, um, you know, the number one job of CEO is telling the story of the company. And that's the CEO of your own life. Yeah. Right? You need to be telling your own story as well, because if. If with everything equal, if everybody is really good at data science, what's going to make you different? Who you are. And the way that people figure out who you are is not your resume. They're going to Google your name and see what pops up. So a lot of people don't document what they're doing. Just like people say every company is a, is a, is a media company, you yourself. And you should start selectively crafting your own narrative or someone else will craft it for you. Yeah. So you want to do that now. Um, communication. So with that in mind, the way that you tell your story matters, right? So. The way that you communicate your story matters, okay? And so as you're going through this process, um, 
you don't want to just tell people uh, that you're interested in a job and just gas the company up. You want to think deeply about what you did before you were in data science or before you applied to a company. So if I am a seasoned healthcare executive, um, I'm not just a junior data scientist. I'm a seasoned healthcare executive that happens to know how to run some numbers and clean some data up and make it look pretty, yeah. right? And yeah. so that is like the way that you communicate that matters to where if you're applying to a company that's focused on healthcare, super, super important for you to be able to make that very, very clear to them. Okay, so um, the other thing that I think is, is, is something that people don't understand is that um, we tell people never code in isolation, right? So people wanna see how well you work with other people. People wanna see, um, are you a team player? Are you a leader? Are you good at teaching others, right? Things like that. And so as you're going through this process, it's super, super important in order to, to explain that. And then the other thing that I will say is whenever you're building a project, try to pick a project that deeply resonates with who you are as an individual. So like if you, um, if you are an accountant and you notice a problem that was persistent in your life and you use your skills to solve that problem, then whenever you're applying to a fintech company that's focused on that problem, now you have a story to tell and not just a clone of Pinterest that you created, yeah. right? No shade yeah. to Pinterest. But like those things are super, super important um, and, and, and the biggest differentiators that I see. Well, I think that's another sense in which people tend to over-index on the technical skills and they don't realize that, yeah, you know what? You're fundamentally going to be solving business problems. Like if a company's hiring you, it's because they want to get more dollars out of you than they give you through your salary. Mm -hmm. And that means stuff mm -hmm. like identifying problems correctly. That means stuff like mm -hmm. solving real problems, making something people want to mm -hmm. use the YC expression. Mm -hmm. You're exactly. a startup of one, yeah. Yeah, and a lot, a lot of people underestimate they under they over they overemphasize their credentials, uh, where they went to school and all these types of things, but they're not focusing as much on those nuances, which are literally going to be the biggest differentiators. Yeah, absolutely. Now, okay, so you, you brought up a whole different suite of things or a whole other suite of things here on the um, non-technical side. I guess there's mm -hmm. a separate question around motivation because you talked about you know having faith in yourself and pushing yourself forward. I think nowadays we're in a, an especially dicey time. We've got a potential recession around the corner. I think a lot of people have their eyes on that, whether they're just starting in a boot camp or thinking about diving into data science, or whatever the topic is. Um, do you have any advice on like how people can stay motivated when, when that's over the horizon? Like how can you keep yourself focused on the things that really matter, actually nailing those skills, building up your portfolio or whatever you got to be doing when, when this, this monster is looming? Yeah, I think, um, I think that's a great question. I don't know if anybody's read the um, the poem by Rudyard Kipling called "If," uh, but it's a really, really good poem. Um, I could pull it up to um, to read it to you guys if I had it in front of me. But um, there's another thing that I read that that actually jumped out to me that captures the essence of it. It's about Thomas Paine um, about the American crisis, and he says, "I love the men that can smile in trouble, that can gather strength from distress, and grow brave from reflection." Right. I think I think that quote is relevant yeah. anytime. Right. Anytime. Right. If you're going through the job search, you're going to feel like you're in trouble if you're running out of money. Right. You're going to be stressed if like maybe your family members or significant others don't believe that you can do this. But you can grow brave if you reflect on why you got rejected or why you're not getting to where you want to go. And realize that if you can 
identify your strengths and your weaknesses and focus on how to get stronger in the areas that you're weak to overcome it, you can get really, really confident every single time that you try. So I think that like, if people are listening, check out that poem, remember that quote that I just said, and that's going to give you a sense of calm, right? The There's another guy, you know, Naval Ravikant from Angelus. He talks a lot about like, you never want to be, you never want to be too hype or too depressed. You just kind of like want to yeah. just be. Like he talks a lot about meditation. And I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert at meditation at all. I don't even think I've even tried to meditate. And it's no shade to meditation. I think it's an important thing to be able to develop. But if you can just be, be calm, cool, and collected at any time to make rational decisions, I think I think there's a lot of value in that. With that said, a lot of people, when they talk about like stoicism or things like that, um, I think there are extremes to it. I don't think that we should completely eliminate emotions. I think it's important to let yourself feel. If you want to cry, cry. If you want to cry, cry. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't let it hold you back. Yeah. You know, I have some 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 of my friends, um, there's different religions that will be like, if someone passes away, don't let yourselves cry for more than three days because then you're questioning God. Right? That's that's not that's an extreme as well. But I'm just giving you like mourn, feel it, but don't let it make you lose focus with the job that's at hand. Because crying over spilled milk does not allow you to move forward, right? The milk is spilled already. What are yeah. you going to do now? Make a decision, right? The interesting thing about the the folks you brought up, you know, like Thomas Paine, American Crisis, obviously, like that was mm-hmm. the, these are the times that try men's souls. That was the, the a moment of great crisis. The Stoics, of course, Marcus Aurelius, literally during a pandemic, this mm-hmm. came out. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, so these things have a way of, of focusing the mind. But I think one of the things you're bringing up here is interesting, this sort of idea of not going too far in either direction. Life has two components. It's got a stochastic, unpredictable component, and then it's got a deterministic, controllable component. Like learning to figure out which is which, I mean, it can be tough, but you know you got to focus on that process. Is there a particular process for people who are trying to? Now I'll switch actually onto the um, the self learning side because I think really mm-hmm. this is what's going to be really challenging as people no longer have someone physically there telling them to do stuff. When you're on mm-hmm. your own, um, getting that motivation, that push to focus on process, to keep you know doing that next class, coding that next line of code or whatever it is. Uh, what what tips would you have for people who are struggling on their own to to stay motivated, say day to day like that? That's a harder one. What I tell people is like trying to learn on your own is very similar to trying to get a six pack in the gym without, uh, no, trying to get a six pack without going to the gym, without a personal trainer, without a workout plan. It's possible to do. Anybody can do it, but it's extremely difficult. And even if you are someone, it's extremely difficult. And even if you're going through this process, um, and you are motivated to do what you want to do, um, and you are very well organized. Often, if you haven't, if you haven't, um, if you have not chosen the skill set that is relevant in the job market, and your pace is too slow, the world might have changed by the time you're ready, right? So you want to you want to be super you want to be super clear on that. Um, with that said. Um, I do think that there's ways to do it. That's part of the reason why we recommend people to to uh, go to to coding boot camps. But I, if you don't want to do that, I think uh, identifying people that have done it before in a self-taught way and 
making sure that you don't just pick the right curriculum that's relevant in the workforce, but also create a, a tight schedule, um, ideally as short as possible, where you're putting in the most amount of time to get the most done in the next three months um, so that you can build things um, that are practical, that are going to be relevant in the workforce is probably what I would do. Um, but as far as the motivation side of things, I think that um, I think that that's part of the reason why we do podcasts, right? Yep. You listen to to this podcast daily, right? You listen to you know the Breaking Starters podcast. You listen to um, any other thing that's relevant, so you can continue to hear success stories um, of people. The reason why millions and millions of people try to um, become athletes every year, let's say it's in the NBA. NBA is canceled this year, but say it's the NBA. Um, but there's only 25 people that get selected is because of the media, right? The media or even music or acting is going to continue telling stories of rags to riches people that figured out how to get there. And so you know that it's possible because it's programmed in your brain, right? So there's books like Thinking Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill, all these other books that talk about mindset, about positive reinforcement, daily affirmations of things that you have to repeat to yourself daily. Like Muhammad Ali called himself the greatest before you know, people even knew that he was. Like You really, really want to cover those things. Um, and then the other thing that I would say is um, I like, like I, I do jiu-jitsu and there's this guy, um, there's this guy uh, from Gracie University. He, he's like teaching people jiu-jitsu online, which is kind of pretty cool because now he has like hundreds of thousands of people doing this but he also teaches business lessons from jujitsu mm. and one of the things that he says is ready fire aim where like rather than just like focusing on just what language do i start with it what do others like just kind of like go in and try things yeah and see what's wrong with it and then adjust if you completely miss the target right yeah so I think that's that's probably what I would say. Um, but the the short answer is, do a boot camp or college or or something that's structured. And what do you think about? Because um, obviously, James Clear, Atomic Habits, sort of in the zeitgeist now. This mm-hmm, idea mm-hmm, of like mm-hmm. slowly. So I'll give the the gym example actually, because I think it's pretty topical. So my brother, my co-founder Ed, uh, built up his gym habit in a very kind of very similar way to Atomic Habits. So what he would do is. He would put on his, his gym shorts. He'd walk down to the gym. And his goal was, I'm just going to stand there. If I stand in the gym, I've done my workout. I'm done. Now, in reality, you find yourself in the gym in your gym shorts. There's like a pull-up bar right next to you. There's a bunch of dumbbells. You're going to do something, right? But you still give yourself that credit. And then you go back. Even if you don't do anything, you say, hey, good for me. What, what do you think about that? You, like, you buy into that strategy? Is that something you'd recommend? I, I love that strategy. Um, the reason why is because... Um, when people download the Career Karma app, you know, day one, they they get they share their career goals um, in a profile we call Fast Track that'll match them with one of the 450 schools in our directory that you can see at careerkarma.com slash schools. But a lot of people don't feel ready or they don't feel confident. So we created something to help people overcome imposter syndrome called the 21-day CK Challenge that you all can all see on Twitter. And initially, we required everyone to complete every single day. But now what we actually do is just make it a check-in every day, right? Because if you're someone that shows up in the gym yeah. for 365 
days a year without working out, you are in the, I would argue, maybe 5 10% of yeah. people in the world <laughs> just without working out, yeah. right? And so, like, I like that analogy because it's not, it's not hard, but it is hard for most people. It's like, it's, it's not rocket science. It's literally one of those basic things. But once you get used to showing up to the gym every day, like you said, okay, like, I might as well do something that I'm, since I'm here, maybe I should do a pull-up now. Yeah. And then you're going to grow up a time. So I, I totally buy into that strategy for sure. It's helped a lot of people inside our community, even just being in a room and seeing other people like you doing it. Yeah. And then you're like, wow, like, don't just show up to the gym. Hopefully in the gym, it's just pictures and, and radio and, and video of other people and real people all doing what you want to do. Yeah. And you're just sitting there like, am I really going to just come up here and not do anything? I should probably get on the mat and start, start rolling and learning how to tap people out. Which is really like the tie in there. It starts to hint at this tie into identity too, because at a certain point, you know, we, th- this, this connection between habits and identity is pretty deep. Like, I don't think if, if I, if I start doing jujitsu every day, I think of myself as the kind of guy who does jujitsu every day. That's part of who I am. And it takes mm-hmm. like a while to get to the point where you start to identify as that person. But once you do, then stopping that thing starts to become the anomaly. It starts to become the thing you have momentum against, mm-hmm. that you're insured against. So I guess maybe especially in these Corona times, people, you know, getting focused on those small habits, building up that identity becomes really important. I mean, we got to create a whole new workout routine now that we 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 quarantine. Uh, there's a, a guy named Joram. Um, he calls himself Swole Engineer on Twitter. So he created this whole home workout. So he just sent me all these adjustable kettlebells and and bands that I got to do. If we're going to be quarantined for a while, we got to adjust. I'm still adjusting because my workout routine is completely garbage right now. So I gotta I gotta bounce back. Just talking about it reminded me. My my jujitsu routine's you know? uh, gone to hell. I can tell you that much. <laughs> it's very hard to do on yourself, man. You get hurt. You get hurt in ways you can't yeah. even match. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. On to on to maybe a, a slightly darker topic. Unfortunately, um, so mm-hmm. we do mm-hmm. know that we just hit the highest level of unemployment in U.S. history um, just recently yeah. with the latest jobs numbers. Obviously, mm-hmm. this has a whole bunch of implications for upskilling, reskilling. The economy is, is shifting, and and. It's clear, no matter who you talk mm-hmm. to, the one thing we know is that the old normal is not going to be the new normal. Even if coronavirus disappears, mm-hmm. we've got just too mm-hmm. much shift to remote, too, too many gear shifts have happened here. Um, mm-hmm. So I want to start with a, a practical question, and I want to see where, the, where this takes us, because I know you're going to have a lot of thoughts about this, but just narrowly on networking. So in-person networking is out right now. So if you're on unemployment, you're, you're trying to break into tech or whatever, like you don't have that anymore. So it's hard to think of other so high leverage strategies to accomplish that kind of networking. What are your thoughts about like what people should be doing instead? What what they can do to compensate? Now that they're stuck at home. Now that they're stuck at home. Yeah. Um. So I think first I will start on the personal, right? I think on the positive side, the quarantine situation is like a great reset of the world. Um, one of my co-founders, not my co-founders, one of my friends, his name is Pedro Frias. He says, when everything becomes uncertain, it focuses you on what's important, right? And I think that it's important to reflect on who you are, uh, what you want to do, um, your family, um, whether you had your priorities straight um, and, and different things like that. But the I don't have time 
excuse does not exist anymore. Yeah. We are we already had 168 hours that we were blessed blessed with with a week, um, and even if you work 40 to 80 hours, you still got 88 hours left. And even if you sleep for 40 hours, you still got 48 hours left. And we're not going out. You might have kids everywhere. You might have a lot of things, but there is time to use. Um, so I'll say that's first. I'll say like prioritize. I do think it's important to maybe catch up on some breasts spend time with your family and, and, and check on your loved ones through, through text messages. But then like think deeply, like if you've been laid off, like was I really doing what I love? Yeah. Was I really doing what I love? Okay. I think that's super, super important to start thinking about because um, if we are, we were already in the fourth industrial revolution, which um, is the age of automation where people aren't staying in one company forever and going to one school forever, they're going from school to school to school and company to company to company. Think about who you want to ultimately want to be over the next 2020, uh, over the next 10 years. What's your 2020 vision? That's the, like, um, I know I'm kind of rambling on the answer to this question, but in Career Karma, we have a discussion post. If you go to our homepage on 2020 vision, our, our, our somebody named uh, Melvin Salvador on our team has built our, our discussions. Um, uh, we ask, where were you 10 years ago? Where are you now? And where do you want to be at the end of this decade? And how can Career Karma help you get there? I think answering those questions for yourself matters and write it down. Ideally, write it on the discussion board so we can see it and figure out how to help you. That ties into this idea of like declaring your goals publicly too, right? Which is another kind of theme that I think a lot of people have been promoting in connection with hitting your goals. You know, tell the world that you're doing it. Yes, declaring your goals publicly is one of the most important things to do. It, it's like, uh, it does a, something subconsciously holding you accountable to the world. Um, and now let's talk about what you're talking about with this 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 macro, uh, which is like coronavirus forcing the fastest reallocation of labor since World War II. People say that like education has changed more in the last two weeks than the past 200 years. Yeah. Um, 3.5 billion people are on lockdown globally. Um, there's about 1.5 billion people that are uh, online learning right now. Um, uh, because of the national school closures. And if you want to think about that, uh, over the last seven years with MOOCs, there's only been 100 million people doing MOOCs with only a 5 to 15% completion rate. So it's important to understand that context. So now that over 900 universities are online, um, many people are questioning the cost of tuition. Absolutely. Yeah. On, on, on outcomes-driven things. Um, but before going into the cost of tuition, which I think is an important subject, um, there's 17 million people that have lost jobs in the last three weeks. 17 million people. That's a very scary, scary number. And the Federal Reserve is predicting 47 million people are going to be unemployed in the next few months, which will put us at about a 32% unemployment rate. This is the fastest reallocation of labor since World War II. Um, but what it has, it has done is taken these people that were previously low intent about changing their life and created a high sense of urgency to focus on what's important and doing what they love. Okay. So with that in mind, I think that um, as you think about your 2020 vision, you should think deeply about which programs can get you there, especially the women, because if you look at the people that have been unemployed, um, most of the people that are frontline workers are women. Um, so if you look at the service sector, 60% of women are, are, are 60 percent of hotel workers are women, 53% of bar staff are women, and 72% of clothing store workers are women. 
But if we look at history, like I said about World War II, um, the female labor force grew by 6.5 million during World War II because they had to go back to fa factories, which I think is uh, the, probably the single most important economic event of our lifetime. So if the ladies and anybody else is underestimated or that has been affected by COVID-19 is trying to think about what they want to do with their life. Um, and even if you haven't been affected by COVID-19, take this time to reset, uh, focus on outcome-driven models, and, and take full advantage of this, this crisis. This, this crisis is a terrible opportunity to waste. <laughs> yeah. Now, you, you mentioned a couple times, because I do want to circle around to this. I think it's very relevant, especially here. You mentioned this idea of outcomes driven. Can mm -hmm. you explain to people who might not know yet about, because I, I think this is really your bailiwick. Obviously, we operate an ISA program, mm -hmm. income share agreements. Mm -hmm. um, you focus on that area as well. So what are outcome, mm -hmm. outcomes driven programs and how do they connect to ISAs? Yeah. So uh, going back to what I said earlier, like a certificate or a degree is not going to get you a job. A certificate or a degree is going to get you where 45 million Americans currently are owing $1.6 trillion. Because the reason why we took out student loans provided by the government or something, somebody else is because we believe that if we pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to college, we will get a job that allows us to pay it back in a reasonable amount of time. That said, I'm not knocking college. I don't think that college is a bad thing. Um, I think that I'm, I'm a college graduate. Um, I think you're going to learn a lot of things in college that are rele relevant to a job. But I would argue that most people that went to college to get a job didn't get the job that they studied in mm -hmm. or that they wanted. Um, that put them in a position to pay back their loans. And so if you are the type of person that doesn't like to pay for something, before it's been delivered, I'm one of those, I don't like to pay something before it's been delivered, then uh, I think an education system that does not charge you money unless you get the service that they promise you is a good idea, in the, especially in this economic environment. A third of the US did not pay their rent in April. Yeah. That's facts, right? And that's gonna continue to get worse and worse and worse, right? unless we kill the virus. God willing, that happens, but we'll see if, if our politicians can get their act together. I'm not hopeful. And so as we're thinking about this, as we're, I'm, I'm hopeful, but I don't believe it's gonna happen in the next few months. And so as we're, as we're going through this process um, and you're thinking about reskilling, I don't encourage you to pay money to go to school unless you're just going there to learn something. To your point, uh, Sharpest Minds runs an, an ISA program. For the people that don't know what an ISA is, it's an income share agreement. It's a promise to get you a job, and if you don't get a job, you don't have to pay anything. It's a beautiful model. The average salaries for data scientists in a lot of these jobs is $7,200,000. Great. Across the nation. And with COVID-19, accelerating remote work, I don't care if you are in Kansas, no shots to Kansas. I don't care if you're in Wyoming, Alaska. All of y'all can get one of these jobs that pay good money or Texas, right, that pay good money, okay? So as you're going through this process, um, the, explore not just ISAs, but variations of the model. There are deferred tuition models. Mm -hmm. There's money-back guarantee models. So if you pay the money up front and you don't get a job, some schools will give you your money back, right? So um, there's been a lot of debate about income share agreements uh, for and against, but I think 
if you talk to the individuals that are trying to get a job, nine times out of 10, and that's that's just my, that's not scientific numbers, that's not a data scientist number, they're gonna pick the ISA. And that's based off of what I do see in career karma, because I talked, I've taught, I personally talked to over five thousand people, and I talk to them every single day. So it's, it's they, they are for these types of models, um, uh, and so I, I think if you're considering looking for something, I think I, I, I will consider income share agreements. I think they're a good thing. Uh, with that said, though, I, I'm still talking about this. Sorry, um, capital markets are a factor. Um, I think um, if you look at history as well. Um, for situations like COVID-19, it is inevitable for governments to step in. And so I think that um, if you're like, it's going to be, there are going to be creative things that governments and companies are doing to help get people back to work. So also pay attention to what the government and what companies are doing to create like micro work or financing so you can go through a program. Um, but don't go anywhere. That's just that doesn't get you a job. That's that's going to be a waste of your time. Yeah, I think one of the big one of the big hopes that uh, that I have coming out of this, at least, is with the move to remote. Obviously, you remove a lot of the overhead associated with university programs. No more lecture halls. No more, um, you know, like physical TAs that have to be at a place at a specific time. Tons of efficiencies, which means tuition, effective tuition, goes down. I don't have to pay as much money to receive functionally the same service. I'm starting to wonder whether it's going to become obvious where the real value is that people are getting from these institutions and whether there's going to be a shift in terms of what people find acceptable uh, tuition-wise. Well, we didn't talk about the, the cost, so like, I mean, and the time. So, you know, normally if you go to a university, it'll take you like two to four years to finish when the average, when the boot camps are usually about three to 12 months, which time is money, right? And then also, um, you're paying anywhere between little under $10,000 up to $40,000, depending on which program that you go to. And the average salary is always going to be above the amount that you'll be paying. And you're only paying if you can completely pay for it. I personally like the ISA models where they are only charging money if it's that specific job. But there's, I also understand the teacher's perspective where they're investing time and money into you too, where if it's any job that they're getting you above a certain salary, Thank the teacher for helping you out, right? So pay the, pay the ISA back. Um, if people want to see the whole history of income share agreements, um, we have a, a YouTube video called How Income Sharing Works that you can see at youtube.com slash career karma. We have, also have like, I think it's a 40-page document called The State of the ISA Market 2019 if you want to know all the nuances, which we're not going to talk about on this podcast. Yeah, and I think you guys have. Uh, if I remember, I, I chatted with James uh, James Gallagher, one of your James uh, James Gallagher is the one who put that that guy together, and he also uh, put it together with Chad Crabtree, uh, the um, the um, who's our editor in chief, the State of the Bootcamp Market 2020, which I highly encourage other people to check out as well. Nice. All right. Well, we'll include a link to that too in the uh, the blog post that'll accompany the podcast. Um, great. Well. So one one more thing I, I want to cover just before we we wrap up here, and that's this idea of remote interviews. Um, mm, so mm. In, interviews are very different, obviously, when you do them in person versus remote. There's like all kinds of almost hormonal signaling too that we, that goes on with human relationships. Oxytocin gets released with a handshake, with a hug, with whatever. Um, but beyond that, the micro details of that interaction are really really important. How you make an impression on somebody that changes once you move to a remote medium. Once you're doing stuff over Zoom, for example. Um, 
have you guys encountered any, um, I don't know, any, any cases where you found techniques that work really well to help bridge that gap? Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to interviewing remote, I've actually like raised money without ever meeting people and talking to people, uh, which is similar to an interview to deciding um, to see if they like you. The first question that I think that you should ask yourself is like, um, what are the five adjectives that people think about you before you even say a word, right? So if I jump on this call and you look at me, what are you going to think? Is it confident, happy, humble, nervous, you know, passionate, right? Twinkles in your eyes, right? Whatever that is that you want them to think, you should think about that, right? So you write, you write those adjectives down. If and then record yourself, look at yourself. So I, I'm a cellist. I've been playing the cello since I was four years old. And when I would practice super, super seriously, and I still practice, but not as much as I used to. Um, but when I practice super, super seriously, and I'm getting ready for a performance, I record myself every time. And I play it back and I listen to myself. I also watch myself on video to make sure that I'm expressing, I'm connecting with the audience when they're looking at me. Right. Same type of thing. So write down all the questions that you would get in an interview, especially the ones that you're nervous about and come up with answers for them. And then record yourself answering those questions on video. Zoom has a record feature. Just do that. It's very easy. OK, once you do that, you're going to put yourself in a position where you can start giving yourself critique. And when you look at those five adjectives that wrote, you wrote down about what are the things I want people to think about before I say a word, if you don't, if you want to be seen as a businesswoman, what does a businesswoman look like? If you want to be seen as a businessman, what does a businessman look like? Right? If you want to be someone as uh, whatever, like we can use so many analogies, whatever you want to be perceived. Yeah. When you hear Bill Gates, you think something. When you hear Steve Jobs, you think something, right? This goes back to your personal brand. The way that you carry yourself matters. And to your point, if we are in a quarantine virtual world, the way you present yourself over video matters. Like right now, I look like a scrub right now with my hoodie on. I haven't got my hair cut in weeks, um, but the, I look like I'm in quarantine That's the beauty of an audio-only podcast, man. That's, that's why <laughs> <You> we do it. <laughs> you know, but you know, if I was in the interview, like when I like I did a I did a presentation in front of a hundred bootcamp leaders earlier this week. I got my hair done. I put the hoodie on. I put boots on like I was going outside, and I went in during the keynote presentation, right? So think about it the same way. Think about it like a performance that's actually more natural. Um, what's nice about Zoom video too is if you have talking points and you do get nervous, just write them on a Google Doc, and they don't have to see the 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 document. You could actually reference it. When I was doing my keynote, I referenced it. It was actually kind of cool to be able to do that. Uh, so you don't always have to memorize your lines. You should memorize your lines so that it comes off natural because tonality and voice inflection, a bunch of other things matter, um, especially when you're doing things and you can't shake people's hands and you can't do those other things that you were uh, mentioning that you can't do in person. So be very mindful of your tonality. Uh, not being monotone, whether your voice goes up or down, how you ask questions. Um, if you give other people time to listen, right? You're doing a very good job of listening while I'm rambling right now, right? So um, be mindful of all those things.
there's a, a profound tie-in, I think, to what we were talking about earlier with the non-technical side of things. Like almost every detail that we've discussed today about the interview process, the networking process, the job discovery process, these are all things that have almost nothing to do with the technical angle. And mm -hmm. through Sharpest Minds, you know, we've seen tons of mentees go through where they default so technical. There's so much leverage, there's so much area under the curve. The moment they start focusing on, wait, how do I present myself? Like how, yeah. what impression am I making on other people? And I think anyway, it speaks to your point that matters so much more in video chats because everyone can inspect every feature, every response, every inflection that you make. You're you're being scrutinized that much more. So putting that time in really gets leveraged really well. Yeah. I mean, like you're from Canada, right? So like the other thing that you could do too is is um when you look at whoever you're interviewing with, look at what's not professional about them. Like are they where are they from? Do they play lacrosse or chess or, I don't know, do they like music? Do they like, I saw somebody from Sequoia quote, the the Carter album is underrated. Carter 2 album is underrated. So I like, I replied to him about hustler music and bass rapper a lot. So if I started this interview with you, it's like, hey man, great, great to meet you, man. Um, um, uh, it's always nice to connect with other people that, that have ties to Canada. And you'll be like, what? You're Canadian? I was like, yeah, man. Like, I, I, I used to work for BMO Capital Markets, Bank of Montreal. I started mm -hmm. my first cello performance in Montreal. But to be real with you, I don't know anything about Canada, yeah. but I can make yeah. it seem that way. You see what I'm saying? And so that, that goes for in-person and remote. But like, you might even come in there and you put a, you put a shirt on that like has your Canadian flag on. <laughs> or, yeah, little or details. Right? Just little details that matter, that's going to build that little dopamine of connection yeah. that you wouldn't get in person. Yeah. Well, I, I think um, this is all really good advice. I, uh, I'm glad we did this, actually. Um, Likewise, man. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have to do a lot more of this kind of thing. And um, thanks for making the time, especially with, I know you I, people can't see this, but Ruben's been like managing his, like, he's got a daughter who's doing some, some spelling work in the background here. He's got his whole operation. <laughs> so he's been a real sport about this. I really appreciate it. Um, and we'll be, appreciate it, man. we'll be linking by the way to the uh, career karma, to the breaking into startups podcast, all that good stuff in the blog post that's going to accompany this podcast. Uh, Ruben, thanks so much. Awesome, man. Thank you so much.